The Browning Version by Terence Radigan. Scene The sitting room of the Crocker Harris's rooms in a public school in the south of England. It is between six and seven o'clock on a July evening. The building in which the rooms are situated is large and Victorian, and at some fairly recent date has been converted into flats of varying size for masters, married and unmarried. The Crocker Harrises have the ground floor, and their sitting room is probably the biggest and gloomiest room in the house. It boasts, however, access through a stained-glass door left to a small garden, and is furnished with chintzy and genteel cheerfulness. Another door, back right, leads into the hall and the rest of the flat. The door is concealed by a screen. The room is empty at the rise of the curtain, but we hear the front door opening and closing, and immediately after, a timorous knock on the door, repeated after a pause. Finally, the door opens and John Taplow makes his appearance. He is a plain, moon-faced boy of about sixteen, with glasses. He stands in doubt at the door for a moment, then goes back into the hall, where we hear him calling. Taplow, calling off. Sir? Sir? After a pause, he re-enters. He is dressed in gray flannels, a dark blue coat, and white scarf. He goes to the garden door and opens it, calling, Sir! There is no reply. Taplow, standing in the bright sunshine at the door, emits a plaintive sigh, then closes it firmly and goes to a table on which he places a book, a notebook, and a pen. On the table is a small box of chocolates, probably the Crocker Harris's ration for the month. Taplow opens the box, counts the number inside, and removes two. One of these he eats, and the other, after a second struggle, either with his conscience or his judgment of what he might be able to get away with, he virtuously replaces in the box. Finally, he picks up a walking stick with a crooked handle and makes a couple of golf swings with an air of great concentration. Frank Hunter appears from behind the screen covering the door. He is a rugged young man, not perhaps quite as rugged as his deliberately cultivated manner of ruthless honesty makes him appear, but wrapped in all the self-confidence of the popular master. He watches Taplow, whose back is to the door, making his swing. Frank, roll the wrists away from the ball. Don't break them like that. He walks over quickly and puts his large hands over the abashed Taplow's. Now swing. Taplow, guided by Frank's evidently expert hands, succeeds in hitting the carpet with more effect than before. Too quick. Slow back and stiff left arm. It's no good just whacking the ball as if you were the headmaster and the ball was you. It'll never go more than fifty yards if you do. Get a rhythm. A good golf swing is a matter of aesthetics, not of brute strength. Taplow, only half listening, is gazing at the carpet. Frank. What's the matter? Taplow. I think we've made a tear in the carpet, sir. Frank examines the carpet perfunctorily. Frank. Nonsense. That was there already. He puts the stick in a corner of the room. Do I know you? Taplow. No, sir. Frank. What's your name? Taplow. Taplow. Frank. Taplow. No, I don't. You're not a scientist, I gather. Taplow. No, sir. 
I'm still in the lower fifth. I can't specialize until next term. That's to say, if I've got my remove all right. Frank. Don't you know yet if you've got your remove? Taplow. No, sir. Mr. Crocker Harris doesn't tell us the results like the other masters. Frank. Why not? Taplow. Well, you know what he's like, sir. Frank. I believe there is a rule that form results should only be announced by the headmaster on the last day of term. Taplow. Yes, but who else pays any attention to it except Mr. Crocker Harris? Frank. I don't, I admit, but that's no criterion. So you've got to wait until tomorrow to know your fate, have you? Taplow. Yes, sir. Frank. Supposing the answer is favorable, what then? Taplow. Oh, science, sir, of course. Frank. Sadly. Yes, we get all the slackers. Taplow, protestingly. I'm extremely interested in science, sir. Frank. Are you? I'm not. Not at least in the science I have to teach. Taplow. Well, anyway, sir, it's a good deal more exciting than this muck. Indicating his book. Frank. What is this muck? Taplow. Aeschylus, sir. The Agamemnon. Frank. And your considered view is that the Agamemnon of Aeschylus is muck, is it? Taplow. Well, no, sir. I don't think the play is muck, exactly. I suppose, in a way, it's rather a good plot, really. A wife murdering her husband and having a lover and all that. I only meant the way it's taught to us. Just a lot of Greek words strung together, and fifty lines if you get them wrong. Frank. You sound a little bitter, Taplow. Taplow. I am rather, sir. Frank. Kept in, eh? Taplow. No, sir. Extra work. Frank. Extra work. On the last day of school. Taplow. Yes, sir. And I might be playing golf. You'd think he'd have enough to do anyway himself, considering he's leaving tomorrow for good. But oh no, I missed a day last week when I had flu, so here I am. And look at the weather, sir. Frank. Bad luck. Still, there's one consolation. You're pretty well bound to get your remove tomorrow for being a good boy and taking extra work. Taplow. Well, I'm not so sure, sir. That would be true of the ordinary masters, all right. They just wouldn't dare not give a chap a remove after his taking extra work. It would be such a bad advertisement for them. But those sorts of rules don't apply to the croc, Mr. Crocker Harris. I asked him yesterday outright if he'd given me a remove, and do you know what he said, sir? Frank. No. What? Taplow, mimicking a very gentle, rather throaty voice. My dear Taplow. I have given you exactly what you deserve, no less, and certainly no more. Do you know, sir, I think he may have marked me down rather than up for taking extra work. I mean, the man's barely human. He breaks off quickly. Sorry, sir, have I gone too far? Frank. Yes, much too far. Taplow. Sorry, sir, I got sort of carried away. Frank. Evidently. He picks up the Times and opens it. Uh, Taplow. Taplow. Yes, sir. Frank. What was that Mr. Crocker Harris said to you? 
Just uh, repeat it, would you? Taplo, mimicking again. My dear Taplo, I have given you exactly what you deserve. No less and certainly no more. Frank snorts, then looks stern. Frank, not in the least like him. Read your nice Aeschylus and be quiet. Taplo, with weary disgust. Aeschylus. Frank, look, what time did Mr. Crocker Harris tell you to be here? Taplo, 6.30, sir. Frank, well, he's ten minutes late. Why don't you cut? You could still get nine holes in before lockup. Taplo, genuinely shocked. Oh, no, I couldn't cut. Cut the cro- Mr. Crocker Harris? I don't think it's ever been done in the whole time he's been here. God knows what would happen if I did. He'd probably follow me home or something. Frank. I must admit, I envy him the effect he seems to have on you boys in his form. You all seem scared to death of him. What does he do, beat you all or something? Taplow. Good Lord, no. He's not a sadist like one or two of the others. Frank. I beg your pardon. Taplow. A sadist, sir, is someone who gets pleasure out of giving pain. Frank. Indeed. But I think you went on to say that some other masters... Taplow. Well, of course they are, sir. I won't mention names, but you know them as well as I do. Of course, I know most masters think we boys don't understand a thing. But dash it, sir, you're different. You're young. Well, comparatively, anyway. And you're science, and you canvassed for labor in the last election. You must know what sadism is. Frank, after a pause. Good Lord, what are public schools coming to? Taplow. Anyway, the croc isn't a sadist. That's what I'm saying. He wouldn't be so frightening if he were, because at least it would show he had some feelings. But he hasn't. He's all shriveled up inside like a nut, and he seems to hate people to like him. It's funny that. I don't know any other master who doesn't like being liked. Frank. And I don't know any boy who doesn't trade on that very foible. Taplow. Well, it's natural, sir but not with the croc. Frank, making a feeble attempt at re-establishing the correct relationship. Mr. Crocker Harris. Taplow. Mr. Crocker Harris. The funny thing is that in spite of everything, I do rather like him. I can't help it. And sometimes I think he sees it, and that seems to shrivel him up even more. Frank. I'm sure you're exaggerating. Taplow. No, sir, I'm not. In form the other day, he made one of his little classical jokes. Of course, nobody laughed because nobody understood it, myself included. Still, I knew he'd meant it as funny, so I laughed. Not out of sucking up, sir, I swear, but ordinary common politeness, and feeling a bit sorry for him having made a dud joke. He goes to the table and sits down. Now, I can't remember what the joke was, but let's say it was... Adopting his imitative voice again... Benedictus, benedicator, benedictine. Now you laugh, sir. Frank laughs. Taplow looks at him over an imaginary pair of spectacles, and then, very gently, crooks his forefinger to him in indication to approach the table. Frank does so, simply, not clowning. He's genuinely interested in the incident. In a gentle, throaty voice. Taplow. 
You laughed at my little pun, I noticed. I must confess I am flattered at the evident advance your Latinity has made, that you should so readily have understood what the rest of the form did not. Perhaps now you would be good enough to explain it to them, so that they too can share your pleasure. The door behind the screen is pushed open, and Millie Crocker Harris appears. She is a thin woman in the late thirties, rather more smartly dressed than the general run of schoolmasters' wives. She stands by the screen, pulling off her gloves and watching Taplow and Frank. It is a few seconds before they notice her. "'Come along, Taplow. Do not be so selfish as to keep a good joke to yourself. Tell the others,' he breaks off suddenly, seeing Millie. "'Oh, Lord!' Frank turns quickly and seems infinitely relieved at seeing Millie. Frank. Oh, hello. Millie, without expression. Hello. She puts down a couple of parcels she has been carrying and goes back into the hall to take off her hat. Taplow, frantically whispering to Frank. Do you think she heard? Frank shakes his head comfortably. I think she did. She was standing there quite a time. If she did, and she tells him, there goes my remove. Frank. Nonsense. Millie comes back into the room. Millie, to Taplow. Waiting for my husband. Taplow. Uh, yes. Millie. He's at the bursar's and might be there quite a time. If I were you, I'd go. Taplow. Doubtfully. He said most particularly I was to come. Millie. Well... Why don't you run away for a quarter of an hour and come back? Taplow. Supposing he gets here before me. Millie, smiling. I'll take the blame. I tell you what, you can do a job for him. Take this prescription to the chemist and get it made up. Taplow. All right, Mrs. Crocker Harris. Millie. And while you're there, you might as well slip into Stewart's and have an ice. Here, catch. She takes a shilling from her bag and throws it to him. Taplow. Thanks, awfully. He passes Frank on his way to the door, in a whisper. See, she doesn't tell him. Frank. Okay. Millie, turning as Taplow is going. Oh, Taplow. Taplow. Yes, Mrs. Crocker Harris. Millie. I had a letter from my father today, in which he says he once had the pleasure of meeting your mother. Taplow. Uninterested, but polite. Oh, really? Millie. Yes, it was at some fete or other in Bradford. My uncle, that's Sir William Bartop, you know, made a speech, and so did your mother. My father met her afterwards at tea. Taplow. Oh, really? Millie. He said he found her quite charming. Taplow. Yes, she's jolly good at those sort of functions. Aware of his lack of tact. I mean, I'm sure she found him charming, too. Well, I'd better get going. So long. Taplow goes out. Millie. Thank you for coming round. Frank. That's all right. Millie. You're staying for dinner? Frank. If I may. Millie. If you may. Give me a cigarette. He extends his case. She takes a cigarette. Indicating case. You haven't given it away yet, I see. Frank. Do you think I would? Millie. Frankly, yes. Luckily, it's a man's case. I don't suppose any of your girlfriends would want it. Frank. Don't be silly. Millie. Where have you been all this week? Frank. 
Correcting exam papers. Making reports. You know what end of term is like. Millie. I do know what end of term is like. But even Andrew has managed this last week to take a few hours off to say goodbye to people. Frank. I really have been appallingly busy. Besides, I'm coming to stay with you in Bradford. Millie. Not for over a month. Andrew doesn't start his new job until September 1st. That's one of the things I had to tell you. Frank. Oh, I had meant to be in Devonshire in September. Millie, quickly. Who with? Frank. My family. Millie. Surely you can go earlier, can't you? Go in August. Frank. It'll be difficult. Millie. Then you'd better come to me in August. Frank. But Andrew will still be there. Millie. Yes? Pause. Frank. I think I can manage September. Millie. That'd be better, from every point of view. Except that it means I shan't see you for six weeks. Frank. Lightly. You'll survive that all right. Millie. Yes, I'll survive it. But not as easily as you will. Frank says nothing. I haven't much pride, have I? She approaches him. Frank, darling, I love you so much. He kisses her on the mouth, but a trifle perfunctorily, and then breaks quickly away, as if afraid someone had come into the room. Laughing. You're very nervous. Frank. I'm afraid of that screen arrangement. You can't see people coming in. Millie. Oh, yes, that reminds me. What were you and Taplow up to when I came in just now? Making fun of my husband. Frank. Afraid so, yes. Millie. It sounded rather a good imitation. I must get him to do it for me sometime. It was very naughty of you to encourage him. Frank. I know, it was. Millie. Ironically. Bad for discipline. Frank. Exactly. Currying favor with the boys, too. My God, how easy it is to be popular. I've only been a master three years, but I've already slipped into an act and a vernacular that I just can't get out of. Why can't anyone ever be natural with the little blighters? Millie. They probably wouldn't like it if you were. Frank. I don't see why not. No one seems to have tried it yet, anyway. I suppose the trouble is, we're all too scared of them. Either one gets forced into an attitude of false and hearty and jocular bonhomie like myself, or into the sort of petty, soulless tyranny which your husband uses to protect himself against the lower fifth. Millie, rather bored with this. He'd never be popular whatever he did. Frank, possibly not. He ought never to have become a schoolmaster, really. Why did he? Millie, it was his vocation, he said. He was sure he'd make a big success of it, especially when he got his job here first go off. Bitterly. Fine success he's made, hasn't he? Frank. You should have stopped him. Millie. How was I to know? He talked about getting a house, then a headmastership. Frank. The crock, a headmaster. That's a pretty thought. Millie. Yes, it's funny to think of it now, all right. Still, he wasn't always the crock, you know. He had a bit more gumption once. At least I thought he had. Don't let's talk about him anymore. It's too depressing. 
Frank, I'm sorry for him. Millie, indifferently. He's not sorry for himself, so why should you be? It's me you should be sorry for. Frank, I am. Millie, smiling. Then show me. She stretches out her arms to him. He kisses her again, quickly and lightly, but she holds him hungrily. He has to free himself almost roughly. Frank, what have you been doing all day? Millie, calling on the other master's wives, saying fond farewells. I've worked off twelve. I have another seven to do tomorrow. Frank, you poor thing. I don't envy you. Millie, it's the housemaster's wives that are the worst. They're all so damn patronizing. You should have heard Betty Carstairs. My dear, it's such terrible bad luck on you both that your husband should get this heart trouble just when, if only he'd stayed on, he'd have been bound to get a house. I mean, he's considerably senior to my Arthur as it is, and they simply couldn't have gone on passing him over, could they? Frank, there's a word for Betty Carstairs, my dear, that I would hesitate to employ before a lady. Millie, she's got her eye on you anyway. Frank, Betty Carstairs, what utter rot. Millie, oh yes, she has. I saw you at that concert. Don't think I didn't notice. Frank, Millie, darling, really, I detest the woman. Millie, then what were you doing in her box at Lord's? Frank, Carstairs invited me. I went there because it was a good place to see the match from. Millie, yes, I'm sure it was. Much better than the grandstand, anyway. Frank, as if remembering something suddenly. Oh, my God. Millie, it's all right, my dear. Don't bother to apologize. We gave the seat away as it happens. Frank, I'm most terribly sorry. Millie, it's all right. We couldn't afford a box, you see. Frank, it wasn't that. You know it wasn't that. It's just that I, well, I clean forgot. Millie, funny you didn't forget the Carstairs invitation. Frank, Millie, don't be a fool. Millie, it's you who are the fool. Appealingly, Frank, have you never been in love? I know you're not in love with me, but haven't you ever been in love with anyone? Don't you realize what torture you inflict on someone who loves you when you do a thing like that? Frank, I've told you I'm sorry. I don't know what more I can say. Millie, why not the truth? Frank, the truth is I clean forgot. Millie, the truth is you had something better to do, and why not say it? Frank, all right, believe that if you like. It happens to be a lie, but believe it all the same. Only for God's sake, stop this. Millie, then for God's sake, show me some pity. Do you think it's any pleasanter for me to believe that you cut me because you forgot? Do you think that doesn't hurt either? Frank turns away. Oh, damn. I was so determined to be brave and not mention Lord's. Why did I? Frank, just tell me one thing. Just tell me you're not running away from me. That's all I want to hear. Frank, I'm coming to Bradford. Millie, I think if you don't, I'll kill myself. Frank, I'm coming to Bradford. The door is pushed open. 
Frank has made a move towards Millie, but stops at the sound. Millie has recovered herself as Andrew Crocker Harris appears by the screen. Despite the summer sun, he wears a serge suit and a stiff collar. He carries a portfolio and looks, as ever, neat, complacent, and unruffled. He speaks in a very gentle voice, which he rarely raises. Andrew. Is Taplow here? Millie. I sent him to the chemist to get your prescription made up. Andrew. What prescription? Millie. Your heart medicine. Don't you remember? You told me this morning it had run out. Andrew. Of course I remember, my dear, but there was no need to send Taplow for it. If you had telephoned the chemist, he would have sent it round in plenty of time. He knows the prescription. Now Taplow will be late, and I am so pressed for time I hardly know how to fit him in. This colloquy has taken place near the door, the screen, and Millie, blocking Andrew's view of the room. As he now comes in, he sees Frank. Ah, Hunter, how are you? Frank. Very well, thanks. They shake hands. Andrew. Most kind of you to drop in, but, as Millie should have warned you, I am expecting a pupil for extra work, and— Millie. He's staying to dinner, Andrew. Andrew. Good. Then I shall see something of you. However, when Taplow returns, I'm sure you won't mind— Frank. Making a move. No, of course not. I'll make myself scarce now, if you'd rather— I mean, if you're busy. Andrew. Oh, no, there is no need for that. Sit down, do. Will you smoke? I don't, as you know, but Millie does. Millie, give our guest a cigarette. Millie. I haven't any, I'm afraid. I've had to cadge from him. Frank takes out his cigarette case and offers it to Millie, who exchanges a glance with him as she takes one. Andrew. We expected you at Lord's, Hunter. Frank. What? Oh, yes. I'm most terribly sorry. I... Millie. He clean forgot, Andrew. Imagine. Andrew. Forgot. Millie. Not everyone is blessed with your superhuman memory, you see. Frank. I really can't apologize enough. Andrew. Please don't bother to mention it. On the second day, we managed to sell the seat to a certain Dr. Lambert, who wore, I regret to say, the colors of the opposing faction, but who otherwise seemed a passably agreeable person. You liked him, didn't you, Millie? Millie, looking at Frank. Very much indeed. I thought him quite charming. Andrew, a charming old gentleman. To Frank, you have had tea? Frank, yes, thank you. Andrew, is there any other refreshment I can offer you? Frank, no thank you. Andrew, would it interest you to see the new timetable I have drafted for next term? Frank, yes, very much. Andrew has taken out a long roll of paper, made by pasting pieces of fool's cap together, and which is entirely covered by his meticulous writing. I never knew you drafted our timetables. Andrew, didn't you? I've done so for the last fifteen years. Of course, they are always issued in mimeograph under the headmaster's signature. Now, what form do you take? Upper fifth science? There you are. That's the general picture. But on the back you will see each form specified under separate headings. There. That's a new idea of mine. Millie, this might interest you. Millie, suddenly harsh. 
You know it bores me to death. Frank looks up, surprised and uncomfortable. Andrew does not remove his eyes from the timetable. Andrew. Millie has no head for this sort of work. There, you see? Now here you can follow the upper fifth science throughout every day of the week. Frank, indicating timetable. I must say, I think this is a really wonderful job. Andrew. Thank you. It has the merit of clarity, I think. Frank. I don't know what they'll do without you. Andrew. Without expression. They'll find somebody else, I expect. Pause. Frank. What sort of job is this you're going to? Andrew. Looking at his wife for the first time. Hasn't Millie told you? Frank. She said it was a a private school. Andrew. A crammer's. For backward boys. It is run by an old Oxford contemporary of mine who lives in Dorset. The work will not be so arduous as here, and my doctor seems to think I will be able to undertake it without, uh, danger. Frank, with genuine sympathy. It's the most rotten bad luck for you. I'm awfully sorry. Andrew, raising his voice a little. My dear Hunter, there is nothing whatever to be sorry for. I am looking forward to the change. There is a knock at the door.